Ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of The Essential Eleven, brought to you by Acton Academy, Acton Academy Placer, Apogee Strong, and, of course, our favorite post-high school program, Praxis. Check the show notes. Uh, Praxis is continuing to offer a standing $1,000 scholarship to listeners of The Essential Eleven, as well as a free book. So check the show notes or go to... Uh, discoverpraxis.com slash the essential 11 to get more info on that. Uh, today's guest is a quite literally a living legend. I remember getting a magazine as a young child with this man on it uh, and have been following his work forever. He is somebody who truly defines the word educator uh, and he was gracious enough to come on and spend an hour giving what amounts to an absolute master class in fear and in human behavior to our young men of Apogee Strong. So the man's name is Mr. Tony Blower, and Coach Blower has helped thousands of people over the years. Uh, has been in the martial arts, self-defense, kind of defensive tactics world uh, for over four decades. He founded Blower Tactical in 1985 and has just gone on to do some amazing things that we get to talk about in this episode. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Mr. Tony Blower. And we have got the legend with us. There we go. My friend, Tony Blauer. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. I just finished teaching and I'm excited to be here and uh, looking at all these uh, all these young men here. This is this is so cool. It is um, the best, man. How's everyone doing? It is the best. These guys are these guys are killers, Tony. You got a bunch of killers from all over the world, man. Who's the dog? I love the dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's right where's where's kartik kartik out there there he is man he's gone now now it's the dog is our, gone and there he is yeah out there in dubai our, um our um you guys see me okay i like i'm in my garage gym oh man you're good excited to be here oh i'm excited, excited. To be here. we are excited to have you man it's cool i know you just got done teaching and you got another thing too so fitness in and in between is is uh is great man super appreciative so you know these guys i sent them you know, sent them a little background on you and sent, you know, sent uh, the bio. But man, I've been, I personally have been, you know, martial arts has been a big part of me growing up. So I personally have been following you. We've got a lot of mutual friends in that space too, uh, but been yeah. following you forever, man. So you're a legend. So I appreciate everything that you, everything that you do for the world, my friend. Thank you. It's It's been a long time. And, and uh, Matt, are there some questions or or oh, yeah. or where you want me to? to oh yeah, like, we're gonna we're gonna go. So what we'll do is is I want to make sure that um, that everybody's got a background on you and kind of your journey and what you've been doing and kind of all through you know how, how you've impacted martial arts and, and really true self defense um, and and really what you've done in that space. So I'd love to have you just kind of talk to that a little bit, because then what we'll sure. do is all we'll have them in the group chat. These guys will start raising their hands and they'll have specific um, questions for you as well. But I'd love for you to just start with kind of that background and context, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. So uh, excited and, and uh, an interesting thing. And, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll jump into something that that you can all relate to. I hope. I grew up in Canada. I live in the U.S. right now. I grew up in the 60s. That's how old I am. And I was afraid of everything. But nobody knew. I was afraid of, I, I remember uh, both my parents were in the, um, uh, the ski patrol, right? So if you grow up in Canada, you're either a skier or a skater. You play hockey or you ski. I, I, I grew up skiing. And my um, they had a, a mannequin that they would do like like first aid stuff on and CPR. And they would, in between seasons, they would store it in the basement 
in the crawl space. Well, I didn't know this until the first time I discovered it. So imagine this, I'm like seven years old, exploring, crawling around, and I crawl into the crawl space and I'm scared. It's dark and it's spooky and, uh, and I'm crawling and, and it's like literally, you know, there's like, like two feet clearance and I'm crawling under there and I'm scared, but I'm I, like, I'm digging the adrenaline and I'm moving and all of a sudden I look over and there's a body right beside me, but it's a mannequin. But it's a bobby. Like I hit my head flinching. I was like, ah, you know, and I and I freaked out. Yeah. I got out of there. And now suddenly I'm afraid of dark spaces. Right. Uh, but you know, when you're seven years old, you don't have critical thinking skills yep. where you go, it's just like I'm never going into a dark space again. The last time that happened, I thought there was a body there. Uh, and you know, it didn't matter after that it was like that it was plastic. It, yeah yeah I, I already already had the, the damage the, had uh, been done yeah the crap scared out of me at that point <laughs> so um that's just one example that that comes to mind the uh i was a skier i was a wrestler i played every sport i was an all-around athlete i was highly competitive i was one of the guys that always got picked so i wasn't like the you know the guy yeah, yeah, tony you can carry the water bottle like you know, like you know i was always playing i was always engaged but i was afraid of competition i was afraid am i as good as i thought i was do i suck would i let down the team would i let down my parents would i let down the coach i carried all of this in my mind uh and it was very distracting and there was nobody to talk to it about there was no way to you know and and i i, I still think and it's part of my program today is getting people to realize that Developing your self-awareness and, and knowing who you can be vulnerable with, who you can trust to say, hey, I'm really scared right now. Um, hey, I, just, I, have a, I have a question for Paul up in the top right corner. Paul, is that an octagon behind you? Is that an octagon for fighting behind you? Looks like an octagon. I'm making a joke. I'm sorry. Let me see. It, look, it just I'm looks like up. a small, Oh, it does look like an octagon. It's I like a small to, octagon. I just unpin Tony real quick gonna, and take we a gonna, look. Gonna, it does look like that. You're going to challenge me to a fight after, and I was going <laughs> to go there. So, 1960, in the 70s, you know, I'm like 13 years old, 14 years old. Now I'm afraid to ask a girl out, uh, you know, uh, uh, to the to the school prom, or I'm afraid to. I was afraid of everything. Teacher would come in and go, "Okay, put your books on the floor." Surprise quiz, and I'm like, ah, I, I would freak at her, and I didn't realize that everybody for the most part, with the exception of some unicorns, um, uh, had the same feelings. Maybe not to the degree but, that I did, but everybody had these feelings of fear. Will people like me? Will they not? Blah, blah, blah. And I, I carried all that inside me. And I think about here I am now, like, uh, like uh, this past, in, in the beginning of May, I turned 61. And, uh, and I was thinking about this and I was talking to some people about it and I go like, had I understood at a younger age how to look at fear and manage fear differently, would my life have been different? Would I have ended up here? And the answer is yeah, but with less stress, with less anger, with less frustration, with less disappointment. Because when you, the way I want to share fear with you, and, and I, I know Matt, you asked me, um, 
to talk about my journey, but my journey's gotten me to the point where my conclusion is the most important thing. That if I had a choice between teaching all of you my very, very cool form of self-defense or teaching you how to redefine your relationship with fear, and I could only pick one of those, I would pick the fear management. Mm. Because even if I teach you some cool moves to protect yourself and defend yourself, if you are frozen by your fear in the event, you're not going to access the moves. Right. So we need to have the baseline of, do I understand what fear is and how to manage it in my life? And fear isn't, for those of you who are tracking this, fear isn't like, oh, I'm so scared. It's not like, like the fear. fear. Fear is, do you have any self-doubt about anything in life? And everyone does about something. And do, and do you realize that doubt creates hesitation? Mm. And do you realize that doubt and hesitation, if that goes unresolved, becomes procrastination? So let's say you, you wanted to say you're sorry for something you did or said. Let's say you wanted to resolve a relationship. Let's say you wanted to start a new uh, habit to build a skill set. And you're not doing it. And Matt or some other mentor or coach says, well, like, why haven't you turned this in yet? Why haven't you done that? We end up bullshitting. Well, no, yep. my dog ate my homework and this and that. Yep. But really, if I were talking to you and you trusted me, when we peeled that onion down to its core, there'd be some element of fear. And we need to define what that fear is because fear creates doubt. Doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation creates procrastination. Now, mm. a lot of you are, are kind of young, and I wish somebody had told me this when I was your age. And I'm going to use a, a term you may or may not, may or not be familiar with. Hang on a sec. Have you guys ever heard uh, about people talking about time management? All the time. Me. Time management is like most people think of it in business terms, like be on schedule, be on time, manage your time. Well, time is the only thing that you can't regenerate in life, mm. right? You're either using your time wisely or you're wasting your time. Yep. What if I told you that fear management equals time management? Mm. This is a very heavy concept that I, I like share that. with adults in our, in, our, in our No Fear program. And our No Fear program is spelled K-N-O-W. K-N-O-W, not no fear, like, no, like, and there's a lot of people out there that are really macho, like, yeah, no fear, no, no fear. And that's cool, but people who do that have a lot of fear, yep. and maybe their fear is just about admitting their fear, yep. right? So the whole K-N-O-W, no fear, is about this idea of if I change my relationship with fear, I can change my mind about things. I can now intelligently do things or more move towards what I perceive as danger or risky. Right. There's a lot of people and you guys are, are super young for this. And I don't, so I'm not saying that in a, in a negative way, but there's a lot of people who go through their lives married to the wrong person, doing the wrong job, doing their, I'm going to share with you uh, three questions that uh, I discovered when I was in my thirties. And and I don't say this to pat myself on the back or whatever, but how many of you look at me and go, that guy's about 61, 62 years old. Do I look 61? Be careful. 
how you answer. Do I look 61 <laughs> or younger? I think younger, you look sir. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you. There you go. So when I was growing up, if I saw a 61 year old, I thought he was like in a wheelchair or in a walker or walking with a cane. <laughs> yeah, right? right, right. So Matt, how old are you? Uh, I am 41, but the gray, I, I look at least 61. Okay. I don't right. know about 61, all right. but you, you don't look 41. You know, like, like I've seen pictures of people I went to school with, you know, Facebook pops yes, this sir. up and I got to go like this and I'm going, can I swear on this show or I should? Yes, sir. Back? Oh, you are good. Yep. Oh, good. I've been holding back. No, you're good. Don't okay, hold so back. I'm good for, I'm good to swear. You are good for I'm anything, like, sir. I'm, These are this, the... I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> yeah. Is this? Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. This person looks like one of those aging apps. Yes. Sir. <laughs> and, oh, it's awesome. So here are the three questions I want to share with you. It was a, uh, a motivational speaker named Wayne, Wayne Dyer. Good old Wayne. Or Dwyer. Is it Dwyer? I don't remember. Well, yeah, Wayne, Wayne Dyer. 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 D-I-E-R. D-Y-E-R. Yep. Yeah. And to me, these are the three. Uh, there's a bunch of really good questions you can ask yourself. But these are, are, are three of the most potent questions I've ever heard. Number one. If you didn't know where you lived, where would you want to live and why aren't you living there? Mm. Now, obviously, you guys are super, super young. I'm not saying, oh, Tony said we should run away and move yeah. here. I didn't say that. <laughs> These are just thoughts for you to start thinking about as you, as you create uh, personal power and decisions in your life, things to visualize on. If you didn't know where you were going to live, where would you want to live and why aren't you there? Number two, if you didn't know, if you didn't know what job you had, what job would you want to have and why aren't you doing that? Mm -hmm. And the third question, if you didn't know how old you were and you looked in the mirror, how old would you think you were? Mm -hmm. I'm going to share something with you, and I just got goosebumps here, and it just occurred to me for the first time, Matt, on this talk, so I want to tell you this is like real time, and I got goosebumps, I got chills in my body, and you can't see this, and I'm not going to move in close, but my eyes started to water a little bit, guys, because I just remembered now telling you this, that when I was 13 years old, my dad took me and my sisters to California to Disneyland and I got off the airplane and I said, I want to live here. This is where I want to live. <laughs> when I was 15 years old, my mom asked me what I was going to focus on in school. I was sitting on the floor, working on the splits, mesmerized at Bruce Lee magazine, staring at Bruce Lee. Yep. I discovered Bruce Lee a few years earlier. I got jumped in a fight. I got beat up by two guys when I was 12. I started martial arts then, fell in love with it. And I'm on the floor at 15, trying to do the splits, staring at Bruce Lee pictures. And my mother says to me, and this is verbatim, hey, and we had a, we had a, a, a successful family business. And in the 70s, we didn't have like people who could open up presents on, on uh, YouTube, making a million dollars a year, whatever they're making, <laughs> no shit like that. Yeah. You, you, you know, the, 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 the things my mom said, 
what are you going to, what are you going to focus on in school? Are you going to go into the family business? You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a police officer. What do you, what do you want to be, honey? And, uh, I looked up at her and this is what I said to her verbatim. I said, mom, school's not going to be important to me. Don't misinterpret that guys. Well, they know. I said, school is not going to be important to me. I'm going to be a famous martial artist like Bruce Lee. I'm going to develop my own self-defense system. And she pat me on the head and said, okay, honey, we'll talk about this when you're older. I still tease her. My mom's in her eighties now. I still tease her. I go, mom, you remember that conversation? That's and she awesome. says, oh my God. Yeah. Like, like you knew. Yep. So, and this just, I literally just like the, the physiological change in me, Matt, when I, as I was telling the, the Wayne Dyer things, I realized, oh my God, as a kid, I wanted to live in California. Where do I live now? Yep. I live in California. Now I moved here when I was 50. It took me 35 years to make that happen. I'm sure Matt has talked to you about resiliency and goal setting and focus and all that, right? You, I made it happen. I never forgot about it. We had, I had a horrible experience in Virginia Beach uh, where I lost my company. Uh, it, was, it was stolen uh, from me by some very corrupt people. And I went from making a lot of money on Friday to zero on Monday. I'm sitting there. My wife is crying. She's hysterical. The kids are upset. And uh, she says, what are we going to do? We had a little bit of money from dissolving the rest of the company. She says, what are we going to do through her tears? And we were in Virginia Beach, had moved, been in the States for two years. I was speaking at a, uh, a military symposium in San Diego. And I said to her, buy tickets for everybody. Let's move to San Diego. She goes, what? She goes, we're not going back to Canada? I said, no, why would we go back to Canada? We're moving forward. Let's go to California. I always want to live in California. Yep. We talk about, we lost the company. We have no revenue. We have no this. I said, well, if we're going to be homeless, let's be homeless in San Diego. I heard the weather's great. There you go. And she started laughing through her tears. And we literally moved to San Diego and I rebuilt everything. But I did that through managing fear. And I was, I was scared, right? Man. I'm a dad, I'm a provider. Uh, and so I believe my journey through my martial arts laid a bedrock of that. It was in discovering martial arts that I began teaching. Uh, and it was, um, uh, and it's a fascinating story, which, which we can get into another on another call one time, but whatever. But very quick, like a Reader's Digest version, is I, I ended up going to work for my father. So remember I said I wanted to, I wanted to be a, a teach self-defense. That's all I thought about. Well, I practiced every day. I trained every day. But I'm living with my father. He's got the business. He says, hey, what are you going to do for money? You can't just live for free. Yeah. So I started working in the shipping department of the company. And um, so there I am working out. And it was, you guys, how many of you have seen Rocky, the original Rocky movie oh, with man. Stallone? Oh, man. You need man. to watch it. If Dang you haven't watched man. it, you got to watch that. Yep. A really, really powerful story. But if you remember the scenes where Rocky's hitting sides of beef yep. in there to keep training. So it's kind of a, a neat parallel is that Rocky wanted to be a boxer. That's all he wanted. But he had another job. 
So there are phases in your life where you, you might do jobs you like or don't like, but they're not really what you're really passionate about. Mm. So you might want to be a writer or an actor or in the military or, or whatever it is. Yep. There's things you need to do to get there. So we would get these big shipments in from overseas in these boxes because they had to travel from overseas were super, super thick. And if you hit them, like you could, you could nail them like a heavy bag when they were empty. And if you nailed it right, your knuckle would perforate and it would give a, give a nice crack and it would give you that auditory feedback. So I used to beat the shit out of boxes because I didn't have a heavy bag. So at the end of the day, I'd be there wailing on it, doing back kicks, jump kicks, you know, beating, there were huge boxes. You could have stood inside of it. So one day I turn around and one of my dad's top clients, this guy, Joey's there. And he says, Hey, you're getting, and I've known him for years. He says, you're getting pretty good at this martial arts stuff. I said, thanks, Joey. It's been almost like almost uh, like seven years every day training. And uh, he goes, I need you to teach my son, Mitchell, who's having some bully issues at school. Would you teach him? And uh, I said, absolutely. He said, how much do you charge? I said, I, I don't, I don't charge. He says, I want to pay you. I don't want you to do this as a favor. I want you to take this seriously. This is my 15-year-old son. And I said, okay, but you're a friend of the families. I can't charge you. So I'm making $4 and, and I think 25 cents an hour. That's what minimum wage was back in 1980. And uh, I go, I don't, I don't know. He goes, well, give me a price. I said, I, can, I, don't even, I can't take your money. He says, I'm going to pay you 20 bucks. So I think because I'm making four bucks an hour, that's five classes, yeah. right? I'm not great at math, but I figured that's what it means. And then he says, I'll pay you $20 every class. You be on time. You be prepared. This is my son. And it's 1980. And I realized, oh my God, he's paying me 20 bucks an hour. And I'm like thinking, I'm rich. I'm, I'm rich, rich I dude. I made class. it. I made it. I have, yeah. I haven't even taught one class, but guess <laughs> what? I start teaching Mitchell. And then Mitchell's brother wants a class. And then the kid across the street wants a class. Literally within two months, I had 30 students. Wow. I was working 40 hours a week, shipping for my dad still. And then every single night and all weekend, I taught private lessons. And I did that until 1985 when I uh, uh, gave my dad notice. And I said, I'm going off on my own. I opened up my first martial arts school. And, uh, and during the 80s, I created the world's first approach to truly scenario-based training. And that gave, that lent itself to me thinking about equipment we would need to do it properly. And so I built High Gear, which is one of our, our training divisions. I did, and this isn't to brag on the money, but I say it to inspire you. The US Army bought $17 million worth of it in 2010. That's how huge that was. It took me three years to make that deal happen. but. I had developed that gear in the late 80s, and then it took me, and I'm telling you this, five years to make it functional, doing prototypes. Yep. What am I talking about here, guys, is resiliency, sticking to the goal, sticking to the plan, and doing, plan, and doing what you need to do to make a vision uh, come to fruition. That's it. And, and so, you know, we developed the high gear. We started teaching. I developed a whole approach to scenario training. And now let me come full circle back to the fear management and then, and then answer any questions you have. While I was training people in the 80s and I developed a scenario-based training where we would do like these scenarios where I'd say, I'd say uh, 
you know, okay, Jacob, go stand over there. Uh, you know, Aiden, you come here. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Luke, you come here. You guys put on this equipment. Okay, you guys are two bullies. You're going to go harass this guy. Uh, Jacob, you got to morally, ethically diffuse this. But if it gets a little physical, I need you to hit these guys and, and run to safety. And we would teach like realistic movement. It wasn't like sport martial art, try to get a kick in and spar. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's very different than real self-defense, yep. which is get out of danger as soon as you can. And I started doing these scenarios and people would get performance anxiety in them. Like people who I thought would do really well would panic. And people who I thought would give up and you know turn and run stayed in the fight. And what I realized is this, and listen to this, and I'm gonna share this line with you and I want you all to write it down or memorize it. The people who managed their fear managed to fight. The people who manage their fear manage to fight. It didn't mean that they won. It meant they were in the fight. They were in the game. Right? And when you're in the fight, even if you lose, at the end of that fight, you have your dignity and you have your pride. Good job there, man. Mm. The people who manage their fear manage to fight. Does that make sense to everybody? So good. And here's another one. This is right out of our No Fear program, and I want this to be your next tattoo. I didn't tell you to quit school and get a tattoo. <laughs> okay? But this is one of my favorite lines. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. That's right. People don't think about that. They look at somebody who's courageous or brave, and they go, I couldn't do that. I didn't. That person was scared shitless, too, and then they made the choice to go. Right. There are a lot of people... Unfortunately, there's a lot of like, like role models who walk around going, fuck fear, I ain't afraid of anybody. And if you need to be so, yeah, I'm not afraid of anyone. What you are afraid of is appearing like you're afraid of anybody. That's exactly right. That's a distraction too. Does that make sense? Exactly right. So when I discovered this, it was like a superpower. Because now, no matter what I do, I go, wow, I just got a little fear spike, which is a fancy word. For I just got like a butterflies in my stomach. My palms are sweating. My breathe. I notice that, and now I go, okay, what is what is Earth, planet, this scenario, life trying to tell me? Because if I said to all of you, who here is afraid to brush your teeth? Put your hand up. Anyone afraid to brush your teeth? <laughs> no. But guess what? If if your wisdom teeth were coming in, or you broke a tooth because you bit on something, and you had an, anyone ever have a nerve exposed and yeah, needed buddy. like. Right. Like the pain is horrible yep. where now if you had that type of pain in your in your in your teeth, you'd be afraid to stick a toothbrush in there. That's right. So now if I said to you, who's afraid to brush your teeth? You go, yeah, I am. Yep. And what we confuse is the anticipate anticipation of danger and fear with the the action or the skill set. Bingo. How many of you are afraid of public speaking? Hmm. Almost everybody, it's a universal fear. If I said to you, you could go, oh, no, I'm not. And and but if I if I said to you in class, you know, hey, stand up and and tell me concisely, blah, 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 or tell me but a lot of people get up there and they're like, okay, uh, so <clears throat> excuse me, uh, their voice is quavering, they can't breathe, right? Yep. Number one fear in the world, public speaking. When I coach people in public speaking, I go, so tell me about your public speaking problem. And they go, Well, I don't know what happens. I get up, I go, stop. I expected you not to be able to speak. That's right. And they're like, what? Like, if you're like, I expect you to go, uh, 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 uh. 
how is it you can form sentences? So what I want you guys to understand is oftentimes what we have when we have fear is we're, we have got like an emotional movie going on in our minds about something not working out. That's right. But it's not the skill needed. You're not afraid of public speaking. You're afraid of sucking or getting laughed at, or we're afraid of a future event. We're having some, or having some other people look at you. I mean, we were just talking about that's one of their challenges, you know, that, that Tim and I were very intentional about putting into this program was a public speaking challenge. And Benaya, who's on this call, you know, was just explaining to us before you got on. He just gave his speech. He did a, a phenomenal speech. His mom had recorded something. She sent it over to us, and I was talking with Tim, and we were looking at it, and he looked like a pro. But nice. he was telling us, he's like, man, I was sweating more than all my track meets combined, right? And it's just you have this response, but it's exactly that. It's not that he didn't know his stuff because he obviously did. It's not that he wasn't eloquent and, and you know professional in his approach because he obviously was. It was the anticipatory, like, oh, what if they don't? What if they don't like it? What if they don't right. like me? What if I? What if I mess up? It's all of those things that you play in your head. It's exactly what you're speaking of. So, so what if you had a system in advance where when you feel that fear, you go, oh, I know what this is. Right. This is the anticipation of something negative. And so we use a cool acronym that I'm going to share with you, F-E-A-R acronym, false expectations appearing real, false expectations appearing real. And what that means is I'm visualizing something in the future that hasn't even happened that's paralyzing me or scaring me in my mind. That's right. You all like movies, right? And there's nobody on, on the yeah. hair that doesn't like a movie, yeah. right? Duh, right? Um, you are all movie producers and directors and casting directors. And I tell people, when you are thinking negative thoughts, you have now created a movie in your mind where you're producing it, you're directing it, you're the screenwriter. And guess what you've done? You've cast yourself as the lead, victim number one in a horror movie in your mind. That's right. And if you can remember that, it's such a powerful metaphor where you're sitting there, all of you have done this, where you're daydreaming something bad's gonna happen, right? It could be end of the world, something to do with a tweet you saw, a post, all people this, blah, blah, blah. Or you, someone called up and said, hey, so-and-so wants to beat you up. And you're like, what, what did I do? What are... And immediately you start visualizing all this negative shit. If you remember that acronym, False expectation of being real. I'm visualizing something in the future. It hasn't happened. And now it doesn't mean that there's not any risk. That's right. Right? You get a toothache and you wait two days and then you tell your mom or your dad. And then they say, well, we're going to go to the dentist. You go, I don't want to go to the dentist because and you're waiting, you're waiting. Every day that you're waiting on the resolution is a day the movie, the fear movie is playing in your mind. That's it. Yep. That's it. It's that part of that cycle, man. It's that that fear. I, mean, I love this. I love this cycle. Fear leads to self-doubt. Self-doubt leads to the uh, guy hesitation. Uh, I can't even read my own right. writing. Dear God. Uh, hesitation. Doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation, hesitation creates, creates procrastination. procrastination. Yep. And, I mean, and does everyone understand beautiful. now how that, that if you understand how to manage your fear, you understand how to manage time, man. Beautiful. Right. So if it took you five days to go to the dentist, that was five days of a horror movie waiting for the bad news as opposed to one day. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. No, I, I love that. I have so do I already have so many th and and you can't can't be brave. 
if you're not afraid. It's that same. It reminds me of of you know Jordan Peterson, who I, th- I believe got it from Nietzsche. It says you know you can't be a good man without the ability to be a bad man, right? You right. have to. You can't morally such, be such good. A good. Such a good quote. It's a great quote, and it's a great concept, and that's the reality of it. Is you can't be good unless you are actually choosing to be good because you have the ability to be bad. Right. And that and that is what is that that's what allows you to be a good man. So, so much wisdom, so much wisdom um, in all of this. And, and um, you know, what's what's if you don't. Gosh, man, dude, I, I've got a million different quotes. I want to we might have to do a another podcast. We play this as, as a podcast of the Essential Eleven as well. We may end up having to do another one altogether, too, man, because there's so much, to. so much here that I want to just continue to dive into. Um, but. Gentlemen, I want you to get your questions ready. If you have questions for Mr. Blower, I want you to be able to um, to get those out there and ask those. That story around the crawl space, I'm very interested in how you kind of figured out that whole cycle too of the fear leading to self doubt, leading to hesitation, leading to procrastination. Um, you know, very interested in, in the ways that that manifested. That crawl space story uh, very much reminded me of, of of a very similar thing. Do you remember those? Um, those giant cardboard cutouts of, of pro athletes that were popular yeah. for uh, for a long time. So my my father thought he was gonna uh, surprise me. I was a big Michael Jordan fan, you know, growing uh. up, and so he got me a a Michael Jordan cardboard cutout, you know, life size. And Michael Jordan is is six feet six inches tall, so that's a large cardboard cutout. And he decided he was gonna surprise me, so he set it right next to my bed so that I would see it as I, ah. you know, when I woke up in the morning. But as you can imagine, I woke up in the middle of the night, rolled over, and then there's a shadow of a six foot six man, you know, right, right there. And uh, I jumped up and hit that thing as hard as I could. And ah. I was out the door before I realized, wait a second, I didn't feel quite right when I hit that. So forever, I had a six foot six cut out of Michael Jordan with a big, you know, crease right there in the middle. Uh, but Awesome. And, and yeah, same same kind of thing. Uh, so much wisdom, man. Guys, go ahead and put your hands up in the uh, in the chat, and you guys have them up there now. Paul, you are up first, sir. What kind of question you got for Mr. Blower? What was after hesitation? So there's a there's a chart. There's a there's a kind of a strip map that I've created called cycle of behavior, and the cycle of behavior is essentially how do we make decisions under duress? I'll try to pull it up here. Um, uh, just to show it to you. So I know, don't try to read it right now, but there's a whole, there's a whole chart here. And this whole graph, which isn't focusing properly, I'll get you guys a copy of it. But this is what's called the, the cycle of behavior. And it's kind of like a strip map for your mind, almost like you're walking along, the scenario is I'm having a good day and all of a sudden something shit happens and you get a, you're, you're in the fear loop and you suddenly go, oh my God, I can't believe this. And we go into this denial state. Oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. This sucks. And, and what we're, we don't realize we're doing right there is we've started the movie. And so when I, when I train people, one of my, my biggest things is getting them to recognize that moment when you've started the script and the movie and the production. And so part of that, one of, what I was showing you there is that, that if, a, if, and this is important, so the, the line is doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation creates procrastination. Unchecked, that becomes fixation. Unchecked, that becomes like a non-clinical anxiety, meaning like you're just sitting there biting your nails, worrying about shit that isn't even happening, right? And now there could be real danger, right? Uh, But 
if we're sitting in the fear loop, we're not doing the things we need to do to protect ourselves. Right. And, and the protection part might be your diet. Right. The protection part might be the people you hang around with. It doesn't have to be physical, yep. right? So you guys understand that anything can can cause cause fear in our mind. So there's a line. If you ever seen the movie with Will Smith, uh, what's it called? After Earth or After, where he says, uh, you know, uh, fear isn't real; it's the danger that's real. Right. And yeah, I tell people, and I tell choice. people, yeah. And I say, well, fear is very real. I disagree with that statement. Yes, it's in your mind. But if fear can immobilize you, if you can have like a pro fighter overcome with fear that he gets his ass kicked in a fight, then the fear was real. So was the bad guy or so was his opponent that punched him. Yeah. So you can have danger and fear. And I like to separate that. And I think it's very, very important. But if you see, if you see, like if I said to you, all of you, have, everyone here is a cell phone, right? Duh, it's 2021. Think about you're leaving a party, you're leaving your house, and then you, you realize you forgot your phone. What do we do? If we're in a hurry, we go, my phone, where did I leave my phone? And there's like this moment of panic. Yeah. And it's what it is, it's a new stimulus that got introduced. My phone. So it doesn't have to, that's what I'm trying to explain. It doesn't have to be like a, like a, like a, like a black bear in the woods. Where's my phone? We get doubt. Where is it? Hesitation, procrastination, and then we figured out where, where it is. But I, but I want to reconnect this to the time management thing. We just ate up six seconds of time overreacting to where's my phone as opposed to methodically doing it. So, yeah. but here's the thing is I'm a guy, I'm a guy, I'm considered a fear management expert. I, I lecture all over the world. I do that every day. Yep. I'll go, where are my keys? Where are my keys? <laughs> you know, and so I want you to know this is a human response. But right. what's different is I don't let myself freak out and I don't let the movie in my mind go on and on and on. Got it. So, so the most important skill I want you to take away from this is that not that, oh, I trained with Tony Blauer and now I have no fear. It's no, I listened to this message and I got this, these couple of cool acronyms and I remember those who manage their fear manage to fight. I got to be in the fight, whatever it is. Yep. I, if I'm scared, it's okay because brave people are always scared. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. Uh, remember that. And then if I find myself like sitting there like this, you ever catch yourself like daydreaming about something like, but it's like negative, like that's you're inside. It's like being in a movie theater in your mind and yep. you're just sitting there. And only self-awareness gets you out of that. Right. So self-awareness is a hard thing to start to cultivate. But Matt will tell you and anybody who's started to figure out life that that's the most important thing. Exactly. It. If you don't realize that you're a jerk and you can't, you'll never figure out why people don't like you or you're always having problems. Exactly. Right. If you can't realize that you're prejudiced or you got some belief that's screwing up your life until you go, oh my God, I'm part of this problem too. I need to fix these things about me, it'll never work out. 
That's exactly right. The self-awareness piece, when when parents ask, you know, with the schools that I build, when they're asking what is the curriculum, I always tell them, look, that's that's the self-awareness is the curriculum. That's it, because that's what we're going after. All the other stuff comes out of that, but self-awareness is what we're going after. When Tim and I developed this program, it is that self-awareness for these young men that's going to allow them to be leaders uh, among leaders. That's it. So all the projects, all the challenges, all these things these guys are taking on, it's all to develop that self-awareness. And then you get the self-confidence from actually having struggled and actually had to go through some hard things and come out the other side, right? Real self-confidence, not the fake faux, you know, chest out self-confidence, yeah. real yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. right? And so it, that's exactly it. It's that self-awareness, man. It's Excellent. so powerful. So good. So good. Yeah. And, and, and guys, I, I hope, I hope you see that having the software, metaphoric software of a fear management mm-hmm. approach is going to improve the speed of attaining self-awareness right because what we don't talk about in life no one ever when i developed this the, the no fear program as soon as i like I, I looked at it i went oh my god like like why are we teaching this in school mm-hmm. yep i mean how many things don't we do yep. because we're afraid to put up our hand in class or That's to right. say can you repeat that i didn't get that That's or right. or yeah i you know i want to go i want to ask that person out on a date or you know, I, whatever it is, all of all of our interactions run through a non-conscious fear filter that that we don't even we don't even know. Bingo. Bingo. It's huge. This is found. No, it's found. It's absolutely man. It's foundational. And that's why we differentiate our school. I mean, not to go off topic, but that's how we differentiate our, you know, we don't, we don't even consider these schools that we're building. They're workplaces for young people. They are, uh, you know, self-awareness factories for young people so that we can put guys like Wayne Dyer and Tony Robbins and all these guys out of, out of business because their business is rightfully so fixing all the broken people that we have. And I, and God bless them. I'm so thankful right. for them, but man, if we can fix that in the first place, right. And build strong, resilient young people like this we can put these guys out of business that's the goal you know is that self-awareness factor so what you're talking about is foundational to that because like you said it is it is just the human design that's what it is you know yeah guys if you if you manage the fear you manage the fight it's it's just and 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 life is a fight it's a roller coaster and it's a and it's and it's a fight and it's not a physical fight it's an emotional psychological dang right confrontation aiden you're up sir Hey, thank you, Mr. Blower, for coming on. I really appreciate it. This has been so far a, f- a fantastic talk. It's going by the time. But I have a, I, I have two questions for you. Uh, one is, as far as that acronym, right, fear, and having that that subconscious um, a, a immediate response to it, it, any type of uh, input of fear. What what's the practical application of that? Um, uh, of that acronym, right? Uh, so whether it's asking a question, asking someone out, uh, public speaking, right? Whatever that fear is, what, what's the practical application for that? It's exactly what you just said. It's doing what you're afraid of Boom. without it being cavalier or risky or dangerous. I don't like that. Those memes that go around, do something that scares you every day. You know, I, I like, I go, well, no, now, now I'm just looking for things that scare me. I'm going to go kiss a snake. Like, I'm not, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, you know, what scares me is like, like running through traffic. I'm going to do that today. <laughs> like it, you can take it to an extreme. Um, that's a fantastic question and a very, very wise question for a young man. So, so I appreciate that. Um, 
I've, I have a, 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 a thought that I share with, with people in our course, and I tell them to practice courage. Fear is contagious, but so is courage. Mm. Practice courage. And how do you practice courage? Well, you can say, well, you know, um, I'm afraid of heights. Personally, Tony Blower is afraid of heights. I've also gone skydiving twice. Mm. And I was down at Fort Bragg a number of years ago, um, training a really special unit down there. And I met with the guys um, on the weekend to discuss the course. And on Saturday after our meeting at a coffee shop, sitting with two guys, and one of the guys says to me, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? I don't know, probably work on the course a little bit, kind of like decompress, go pick up some water, some, some supplies. And the guy says, you want to go jumping? Now I know what he means. Like he's a tier one military guy. He says, you want to go jumping? At this point, I've already gone skydiving twice. I'm afraid of heights. And I go like jumping and I go like this with my fingers on the table, like up and down. He goes, ha, ha, ha. No, skydiving, man. And I said, no, you know what? Oh, hold on a sec. Let me check. Oh, no. Jumping out of an airplane today. No, yeah, not on the not calendar. The agenda. And he goes, now, I didn't tell him that I'd gone. Right. I said, no, not doing that. And he goes, um, he goes uh, with air quotes. He goes, aren't you like Mr. Fear Management? <laughs> And I said, yeah, dude, I'm managing my fear by not jumping out of the airplane. There it is. Yeah. So, so he laughs and his buddy laughs. But the guy that asked me to go skydiving laughs like a, like a mocking laugh. You, you know, not being a jerk, but just <laughs> like funny. But the guy beside him laughs a nervous laugh. And in that moment, I knew that the guy beside him didn't like skydiving. But they were both in the same unit, which means they were both qualified skydivers. So here's my point of the story, gang. I looked at the guy that asked me, and I said, let me ask you a question. He said, I said, do you have no fear of skydiving? He goes, no, I love it. I go all the time. I got over 600 jumps. I go when I don't have to. And I said, okay, no fear. He goes, no. I said, then uh, today we're going to do something different. I'm going to pack your chute for you. And he looks at me, and he leans forward. He says, you're not coming anywhere near my fucking parachute. And I said, honest question here. Are you feeling any fear right now? And he sits up. And what I had done when I had said, I'll pack your chute for hit you, I started a movie in his mind that included a malfunction yep. because I fucked up his chute. assembling his, his chute. Do you guys understand what happened there? Yeah. I just by saying one thing, I introduced, I changed his ritual. And he was like, you're not coming in near my chute. And I make this joke. And this is where the story or where the, the you can't be brave if you're not afraid comes from. Because if I wanted to learn skydiving, I don't want to learn from a 22-year-old adrenaline jumpy, uh, junkie who's got a, a Red Bull contract. I want to learn from a 55-year-old retired military uh, jump master. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I go, that guy's still alive. This guy's still too young. I don't know what's going to happen to him. This guy's figured out how to do things safely and smartly. So, so the and how do I tie this to your question, Aiden, is, is this is that he didn't know that I'd already gone skydiving. If I got to go change a tall light in my house right now and I get a ladder out, as I grab the ladder, there's a thought in my head that goes, you don't like heights. And then when I climb up on the ladder, I stabilize it and I double check it. I'm being careful and I'm going through my ritual. But the difference is I'm managing my fear climbing up the ladder. 
I'm not cavalier about it. And that's how you fall. I'm not like fuck fear. And that's how you fall. So, so if you've got a fear of asking somebody out on a date or public speaking, or how are you going to do on a test? The self-awareness part goes, Oh, wait a minute. This is what Matt and Tim told me about. This is what Tony said. You're going to get this, this butterflies in my stomach, this, this pre, this pre fight stimulus. What is that trying to tell me? That's telling me that this event is outside my comfort zone. I haven't done enough reps properly and that's okay. How many of you knew that, you know, whether you like Mike Tyson or not, you know who he is in his prime. He was the, the most dangerous, one of the, one of the best heavyweight fighters ever. For sure. How many of you knew that he used to throw up before his fights? Mm. A lot of people never knew that because that's not big news. Yep. Why would the guy who's the scariest badass, like, like the most wicked knockouts you've ever seen, throw, he threw up because of fear, not because he didn't know how to punch, not because he didn't know how to climb into the ring, not because he didn't know how to fight. Mm -hmm. That was just his physiological response to the danger he was anticipating. That's crazy. Right? Yep. So, so what you do is... I mean, without giving you like a specific formula, if you said, yeah, I'm really afraid of public speaking, I go, well, that was a perfect sentence. So you're not afraid of speaking. You're afraid of speaking in public. Right. But you just said that to like 30 people on a Zoom call. Now it becomes, oh, I'm afraid of public speaking live. Well, are you okay if these 30 people that you became friends with on Zoom were in the audience? Right. Wouldn't you get up and go, hey, dude, hey, good to meet you in person finally. Yep. Like you'd have... Right. So what you start to do is you break down and you want to, and this is maybe an old timers expression, peel that onion mm. and get to the core of what exactly are you afraid of? That's right. And it's only then that you can create a formula. Yep. Because if you're not afraid of your speech or your message or standing or talking until you can, until we collaborate or co-create an answer until you say, I'm afraid that the, uh, the vice principal of, of here won't, or there's a girl in the audience I'm trying to impress. And if she thinks I'm, when you identify that there are now there's ways to circumvent right. and navigate that. That's right. Does that make sense? That was kind of, it was kind of a, like a long answer, but you practice courage by taking incremental steps. I'll give you an, a, another great example. I created a system called the SPEAR system. It's an acronym for Spontaneous Protection Enabling Accelerator Response. It's the only behaviorally based approach to self-defense in the world because it integrates physiology, kinesiology, and psychology, right? And, and so it augments anything, whether you're doing uh, 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 Tim's uh, yep. approach, which is obviously badass. It's holy shit, it's Tim Kennedy, yep. right? But it's, it, that's a lot of of MMA grappling, like you're in the fight. Mm -hmm. So our system is taught all over the world, but it's this behavioral thing that you insert. It's almost like installing an air, <clears throat> an airbag in a car. It's understanding how the flinch works mm -hmm. and it deploys like an airbag. So I've been on the cover of magazines. I've been in Forbes magazine. I've been on martial arts magazines. I've been, I've taught two groups in the Pentagon. I'm all over the world. I am the best spear instructor in the world, right? I've been teaching for 43 years. Matt, how old did you say you were? 41, sir. 
So I've been teaching longer than Matt's been alive. Right? That's insane. When the lockdown hit, I started offering classes online as a way to save my company because all of my business was, I was in the fear loop. Here I am, 60 years old. One day I went, oh my God, I could lose everything I built because all my classes, my live class got canceled. I was in the fear loop. I used my system to extract myself from the fear loop. And the first day I sent an email out and I had 100 people sign up for classes. And the first morning, I say to I say to my wife, I'm walking around, I say to my wife, um, oh my God, I am so nervous for today. And she says, What the hell could you possibly be nervous for? You're like like the best spear instructor in the world, and they get a chance to teach, they get a, ta- a chance to teach, uh, to, to learn from you. And I had already gone through my fear, my self-awareness assessment. My fear was people wouldn't like training on Zoom. Yeah. And then I, would, then I would lose the revenue stream. If I lose the revenue stream, I can't provide food for my family. I, I could lose my company. That's a serious concern. Yeah. And then the other concern was I hadn't taught group classes since 1993. Yeah. Teaching a one-day seminar or a five-day seminar is not the same as cultivating a relationship right. like you guys are doing here, right. where you're meeting every week and you're talking and you're, 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 you're a band of brothers. Yep. But I could identify the fear. So I looked at her. I said, I, I'm afraid of this because it's a, a weird group class for me. I closed my school in 1993 to do seminars. This is different. And she looked at me like I was crazy because she couldn't understand it. Yeah. But because I could identify the fear, Aiden, and everyone else, I wasn't afraid of the fear. I knew what it was. Yep. Have any of you ever been lost? Oh, like, like literally you got lost on a trail, lost walking somewhere, and, you, uh, and got scared, lost? Anyone? Let me see a show of hands if you've ever, right? And if you've, if you've been that, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm lost. And then suddenly you see... Like, 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 a, like, a, like a signpost that tells you, if I go this way, I'll be safe. When you saw the signpost that you were safe, what happened to you emotionally, psychologically in that moment? Mm-hmm. For a moment, you're terrified. Oh my, and then all of a sudden you went, oh my God, is that, is that? And you felt good. It was the weight of fear was lifted from you. But to get out of danger, you had to keep moving, keep thinking, and keep taking steps, moving towards what safety represented. That's right. So that's the message of you practice courage by continually to, continually moving, moving towards what you believe is the light of the end of the tunnel, moving towards your goals. And this is the hardest thing. And, and I, I'm so, so good. I'm not jealous of you guys. I'm excited for you guys. But I mean this in, in the, I say jealous of you guys because I'm 61. And I'm just teaching this stuff to my kids in the last few years because I just figured it out. So my son's 30 and he gets these talks. My daughter's 22. My other daughter's 18. And I'm thinking, how would my life be different if somebody when I was 7, 8, 10, 12, 15, 18 had said, you're going to practice courage and and it's okay to be scared and do things. In fact, most people are. Right? Right. Now you have butter, you have unicorns. Like if I asked uh, Tim, Tim, were you ever afraid when you stepped in the octagon? He might actually say no, mm-hmm. but what he would say 
and he'd be a unicorn. He doesn't represent the rest of us. I don't know if Tim listens to these. It'll be interesting oh, yeah. to, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. but he might say, I'm never afraid in the octagon because I've, I've already agreed to put my life on my line to defend my country. So I've moved into an octagon where people can kill me. Nobody's trying to kill me in the octagon. In other words, he's looked at that as that's like public speaking for somebody else. Right. Right. You know, you're saying that like he's gone. I've already agreed to do death matches. Now I'm doing like MMA fights. Why would I be afraid? It's a perspective shift. Yeah, no, 100%. But then you got some of the greatest. I mean, I know George, I've talked to George uh, St. Pierre on, on a number of, I mean, he he loves it. He admits his fear. He admits his fear. Scared to death. Scared to death. Very much like, you know, like my, he says, once once he starts walking out, it's a different thing. He says, but when he's he's in that back room, he's getting ready to go. He actually hates it. He actually thinks about quitting every single time. He's like, I don't even want to. It's amazing. So what George is doing, like the skydiving story is George is managing his fear. Mm -hmm. Somebody who likes to hurt people and loves violence, he may be a good fighter, and there are some people like that who say, I do this, I get paid. If this, I'd be in the street, I'd be in jail, I'd be dead. This gave me a way to to focus on. But that's not who we are. That's like without judging that person, that's not the good Samaritan or the courageous bystander trying to make a difference on the planet Earth. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So good. Um, Mr. Blar, we would definitely want to be honored. Like we want to honor your time too, because I know it's eleven oh. I, I got a few more minutes. minutes I actually more. shifted okay. my next meeting to eleven thirty, awesome, knowing that I would go. Oh, over. you're the best, man. You are the best. Super thankful for that, Aiden. I know you had a follow up on that. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you you obviously have a very very unique view of life, and kind of lo- looking at life as a whole through that lens of fear management. What is the meaning of life to you? Wow. That's Aiden's go-to, man. Wow. He brings it. Wow. He brings that one every. He brings that one every week. You know what? Um, every day, I try to reinvent myself. Every day, I try to become a better version of myself. Mm. And and so there's an there's something that I read thirty years ago. Be willing to give up who you are today for who you could become. And so the meaning of life is that self actualization mm. that that is being a good dad important is being a good leader important is being respected by guys like Matt and Tim important shit. Yeah. But in that context, that's a little bit of ego, right? I want Tim to send me a private message going, Hey, I heard your talk. That was great. You, you really made a difference. I want Matt to send me an email going, you know, wow, that was one of the best shows ever. And then I thinking, well, who's better than me? Like oh, that's all ego, <laughs> right? Um, and so that's self-awareness to recognize that. And so it's just, Hey, you do your best every day, Tony. And, and there are days when I go, I wasn't the best dad I could have been today. And if I recognize that I call my kids up and I go, Hey, when you tried to talk to me later earlier today, I was really preoccupied with something on business and I feel shit about that right now. Um, you know, what did you want? Right. Right. But only self-awareness allows me to do that. So it comes back to like the the the, the core value of, of of what this is about, what Tim and Matt have put together. It's about self awareness, and to come back full circle to your question, is I I want to always be the best version of myself possible, and 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 that's a big fancy word, self actualization. Is how do I do that? And I've discovered that the truest way is through always looking at my fear, not in a cavalier way. But, you know, 
my wife and I, uh, if we get into an argument, I can say right now, this is going to last three days, right, Matt? How long's an argument with your, are you married, Matt? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. If, if you and your wife have words, uh, uh, typically how long till it resolves? Oh, <laughs> uh, she, listens, she, she listens to these too. Um, you huh. know, it's, we've gotten, I will say it's gotten better. So it's, it's relatively quick now. It's a, it's a, it's a day or two now. Um, it may have been but, a little it, longer. Of course it depends on what it is. is of it, course. You know, is it about the kids? Is it about finances? Right. Is it about something else? Right. My point being here, Aiden, and everyone listening to this, I know some of you are, are, are not like you're not married. You're, what are you, what's he talking about here? What I'm talking about is his wife could go, Hey, we're going to waste two days of our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what's the expression you kids are using now? Uh, ghosting each other ghosting. in real life. That's right. right? We're, hey, just walking through the house. How'd you sleep? Good. Good. How'd you sleep? How's How'd your day? Hear? Right. And we're waiting for the other person. Are have any of you guys on the call here <laughs> waiting for somebody to apologize to you for something? We all do that. If I said, Aiden, go up and say to this girl or this guy or your mom or your sister, or your brother or this person, hey, look, I'm really sorry about what happened. We're obviously got very different opinions about this, but that shouldn't change That's right. that, that we love and care about each other. Because if you disappeared in my life for real right now, yep. I'd be going, oh, my God. So, but here's the self-awareness piece. I can walk into my wife right now and give her a hug and she'll like not hug me back because she's still pissed. And I could give her a peck on the chief and, and say, I don't want to fight with you. Fear management equals time management. And I'm afraid to say I'm sorry. So I'm saying I'm sorry right now for whatever happened. And when you're ready, you'll say it to me. And I try to empower her to practice the courage, right? And then what might have been three days becomes two days. What might have come so Matt, so yep. that, that, that so, the so system true. is if we practice courage, if we practice confronting our fear, the timeline between stimulus response gets shorter and shorter. Yep. And you guys will discover uh, Maslow one day yep. and man's search for meaning in the book and understand that, that he talks about between stimulus response is this gap time. And in between that, our ability to choose determines how That's we react it. to something. Right. Wisdom, wisdom, right there, gentlemen, wisdom. That's exactly it. Oh, well, well put my friend. Does Thank that make you. sense? That's uh, a, Aiden, pretty crazy question there, man. Yeah, it's Aiden, Aiden, yeah. Aiden brings hey, let's, me. Let's, let's try. I've, I've got like 10 more minutes. Let's try and get the other two questions. All in right, let's get if you've got, if you've got a few more minutes, let's say, yeah, absolutely. Please Aditya go for it, sir. Thank you so much. I mean, the past one hour has been like a, like a university lecture on fear, especially like you have all of those three perspectives. So recently I've been trying to read and understand about trauma and fear. And a lot of, a lot of what I've read seems to be that a lot of these mind patterns, a lot of these things that we think about, they arise from childhood. Like how you said, like you might have a fear of dark places. Cause like when you were seven, you were just put in that area. And like when you were 12, you got beaten up. So it's like, okay, you know, and then you got to learn martial arts. So how much do you think that fear comes from childhood? And do you think the same approach you just said to be able to tackle that fear, can the same approach be used to tackle that fear as well? That is just coming from that childhood. Yeah. Amazing questions. Is everyone this like freaking deep? These are, I'm telling you, these are the leaders among among leaders, my friend. You guys account. I cannot wait to 
see what you do with your lives. This is exciting, deep stuff. Uh, congrats. What you and Tim are doing is amazing. Thank and, you, sir. And, uh, Aiden's going to be president. And Aiden's going to be president. <laughs> Well, I better start bribing him now. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> so, great question: Can my system uh, be used to uh, help somebody unpack and uncover? So, the whole thing again comes back to this self-awareness piece, right? Uh, some kids don't have the critical thinking skills to identify that. Uh, so, one day I remembered the mannequin in the crawl space and I go, Oh, maybe that had something to do with why I don't like dark places and stuff like that. And then, but here's the thing is I've crawled into dark spaces since then. And while I'm doing that, it's almost like, um, it's you guys are, are most of you on Facebook. So you got Facebook memories pop up, right? Where, you're there like this and you're going, oh, oh, look at this memory from then you start thinking about that. Mm -hmm. I'll be low crawling in a dark space. And then all of a sudden I see the mannequin Pops from up. when I was seven for sure in, in the back of my mind. And I might go. Mm. So. Depending on the age of somebody, the answer is yes, because the only way you help somebody manage their fear is by identifying their fear. I had a, 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 a kid, uh, not a kid, he was like 20 years old, he was fighting a kickboxing championship. And it was amateur kickboxing, and he had to fight four rounds. All fights before that were three rounds. The championship fight was four rounds. I said to him before the fight, I said, how do you feel, Sean? He said, I'm good, coach. I'm nervous. I said, you're supposed to be nervous. You're about to get in a fight. The guy's going to try and kick and punch you in the face. You're going to do the same to him. If you weren't nervous, I think there was something wrong with you. Does that make sense to everybody? Mm -hmm. You get that? Right. Then I'm sitting there, gang, and I'm like, something starts to nag at me. And I realize, you know, I just gave him one of those cool fortune cookie answers. You're supposed to be nervous. I didn't ask him, and I, this was still, this was in the 80s, so I was still developing my system. Now it's like, what, I, I need you to tell me exactly what you're afraid of, because then what we can do is we can work together to create a strategy to address that. So I look at him, I said, Sean, I apologize for that answer. He says, coach, it was a great answer. It actually calmed me down a little, settled me a little bit. I said, yeah, but I didn't ask you exactly what you're afraid of. And uh, he goes, it's stupid, it's nothing. And what that means is the fact that he said it's stupid, it's nothing meant it was something, something. that he was thinking about. And I look at him and go, no, nothing stupid, tell me. He goes, well, he said, I've sparred 10 rounds getting ready for this fight. So I know I've got that type of energy and skill, but I did, I've never done a four round fight. And I'm thinking, like, can I do four rounds? Because four rounds fighting a real guy with smaller gloves is different than sparring somebody in the gym. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I would have never thought that's what was distracting him. Does yeah, everyone get that? Yeah. So imagine going in there worrying about, do I have enough stamina for the round four? That distracts you in round one, two, and three. That's right. So I looked at him, and I said, Sean, can you do two rounds? And he... He goes, yeah, of course I can. I said, so just do two rounds twice. That's right. 
I broke it down into something so manageable that he laughed. And at the end of the second round, I said, Sean, can you do two rounds? He said, of course. Right. And he went out and he won the title because I gave him, I broke it down in manageable steps. Now, what's that got to your question about childhood trauma, this and that is what I try to do is what Matt and Tim are trying to do is we need you guys to be your own coaches one day. You need to be the facilitator. And I use this example. I go, you're a hostage in your mind, but you're also the hostage rescue team. That's right. And so if you can't see, you know, uh, um, if you can't see some childhood event as now shaping how you handle situations in life, then you can't fix it. In other words, you need the self-awareness. If somebody's so young, though, that they can't extract that, um, then they need a mentor or they need some sort of a guide. I have professional mm-hmm. psychologists who use our approach to fear management to help people with PTSD. It's amazing. It blows my mind. I have no doubt. That I coach professional psychologists in this system. And they found in something that we should talk about offline. Yeah. But I've got a, a psychologist of 20 years who specializes in working with vets with PTSD. And he called me up one day. He said, this is more effective than anything I've, I've learned in 20 years of psychology. Yep. And I said, oh, my God, that's the most amazing testimonial I've ever heard. I said, and I figured for sure he would never publish that. And I said, can I use that? He said, yeah, it's true. And it's on my coaching website now. That's awesome. It's, uh, but uh, so I don't know if that helped answer the question. The answer is yes. And yeah. somebody yeah. needs to know how to extract that. So yeah. uh, Matt and Tim can give you exercise. They know, hey, if we can get them to do this ropes course, if we yeah. get them to public speak, if we can get them to go to, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to do three months of jujitsu and we get them to roll. But you might do that and you're afraid doing that and you go, wow, I'm with a big fancy word. I'm stress inoculating, but it still doesn't change your relationship with fear. You're just doing it because you trust him and you trust Matt as you should, and you feel stronger and better, but that doesn't change the George St. Pierre moment. Yeah. Like going, I'm now the best in the world, fighting the best in the world. I don't want to throw up. I don't even want to go out there. I somehow need to push myself there. Yeah. Where, and this is funny because one of George's good friends, David Wazow. Do you remember the name? I do. I, okay. I, yeah, man. Dave is so, the, the crow. Yeah, Dave the crow, Loiseau. So a lot of people don't know this. I grew up in Montreal. Yeah. I actually trained St. Pierre and Loiseau before before David Loiseau, uh, sorry, before St. Pierre was Rush St. Pierre. Yeah. He used to bow to me at TriStar Gym. He yeah. was doing Kyukushikai Karate. Yep. He knew me from the magazines. He'd see me go Sensei Blower yep. and bow to me. Yep. He hadn't even done MMA. I gave them first high gear suits and that helped Dave develop his elbows and all. But here's the thing. One day, um, I, I, I'm in the back changing room before an MMA fight. And Dave comes up to me and he says, I am so scared about this next fight. He said, uh, he said, I'm, I'm fighting one of Pat Militich's guys. And Pat was one of, yeah, one of the, was, the greats. And he was so scared he couldn't go out. And I looked at him and I said, Dave, you're not fighting Pat Militich. You're fighting one of his guys. Yeah. And he looked at me and it hadn't even occurred to him in yeah. his mind. 
he was fighting Pat Militich, my proxy. Like, and I looked at him, I go, Dave, the guy who's fighting you is fearful of fighting David Wazo. That's right. And just shifting that, let me share the, right. this cool thing. Uh, uh, how many of you, let me see a show of hands, have been intimidated at some point in your life? Feel intimidated? Well, everyone does. Well, guess what? I'll consider this a class because I always, I always preface this when I'm talking on a podcast. I go, this is one of the one of the slides in our presentation, but this is like a class. There's a slide on, on intimidation, the psychology of intimidation. It goes like this. It's when I'm visualizing what my opponent can do to me instead of what I must do to my opponent. That's right. Think about that. That's right. When you're intimidating, when you're intimidated, it's because you're visualizing the false expectation appearing real in the future and it's paralyzing immobilizing distracting you from what you need to do in the present right and it's such a cool slide with such a cool concept and you can substitute opponent with anything that's right if i say to you go ask that 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 person out for a date yep and you go mm, they're going to reject me now you're visualizing that person rejecting you so that you're not actually going in and asking the question. That's right. And who cares if they reject you? That's their loss. Yep. That's exactly right. right. So it's a super, super cool uh, uh, principle that. that you can apply to weightlifting, to self-defense, to, to business development, to anything. That's right. I love that, man. That's so good. So I had, I had, uh, you know, some fights, back in the day too prior to 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 mixed martial arts kind of taking off we had some some shady ones and i remember one i remember a guy coming into the dressing room at one point and uh he goes hey man he says you know by the way the guy you're fighting tonight uh he's a mongol do you know what that is and i said huh. i said are you talking the the bikers he's like yeah he's part of the mongols and i was like okay man cool you know like, great and so then i but i started thinking i'm like okay Dude, he's so he's part of, the, and I started extrapolating all of these different things, man. And it was uh, Kit Cope was in the uh, in the room with me. He's like, dude, you're not fighting the Mongols, right? You're fighting one guy, like you're fighting one dude. It's just like it doesn't matter. You're not fighting that whole gang. And it was like, yeah, you know what, you're right. But I had to have that mindset shift. And it was like, yeah. cool. And it doesn't, and that doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter. You go out there and, and you're just doing. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. You're playing the you, game. You're doing. You your gotta game. give yourself it's permission your to win. Yep. You got to give yourself permission yep. to win and you got to see when you are actually preventing yourself from accessing your skill set. That's right. So you the, the it goes back to that like fear of public speaking. If I said to you like do you know how to speak English in form sentences? That's right. Of course you, you go, do. yeah. Yep. Then you got no problem. Yep. Something else is is getting is getting in the way. That's right. If I, if I if we were all hanging out and some giant guy walked up to you and he's standing there and you could see he's got like a broken nose. He's had his nose broken a bunch of times. You can see scar tissue under his eyes. He's been in like a hundred fights. He's got scabs on his hands and he goes, I want to fight. I'll fight any one of you here. How many of you want to describe that immediately get that, that intimidation? You should, right? Because you're going, Oh my God, this guy's like, look at his nose. Look at the scar tissue. He's got cauliflower ears. If you had to fight the guy, you could also look at his face and go, this guy's got no defense or he wouldn't look like that. <laughs> and if we're going to fight, I need a sign from the universe that this guy is vulnerable. And guess what? There it is. His face just told me it is. Yep. In other words, we start to visualize 
the Mongols. Right. We start to visualize Pat Milich, yeah. right? As opposed to, hey, these guys got to worry about me. I know what I'm doing. That's right. That's right. Such a great, uh, okay. great example. Just to just to expand one second, yes, like how, where can we learn more about everything that you're teaching, sir? Like, is there a book? Is yeah. there a set of books? Is there something that we can go back to? So, so, so great question. So since yeah, so since most people will never read a book, and most people never finish a book, I wrote a nine-page ebook called making friends with fear and i joke that it took me 43 years and two weeks to write because i actually spent two weeks writing it but it took me 43 years of studying violence fear and aggression to put it together and i'll get the link and if, if you go to my info.tonyblower.com it's down it downloads there it's free you can get it I, I will tell you because we pivoted to online stuff and I don't want to come across like I'm selling stuff here. When you download it, my system's going to try and upsell you on stuff. You don't have to buy anything, right? Just ignore that, get the book uh, uh, and, and, and read it. It's nine, it's nine pages. And listen, if, if Tim and Matt want me to come on and do more stuff with you and get Absolutely. deeper and stuff, I, I do it. My, my pleasure to come and help you guys. You guys are super cool. But read that book, Making Friends with Fear. I really believe when we learn how to turn fear into fuel, it becomes cathartic and, and it becomes like an energy source that we can use. Because guess what? You're going to have fear in your life. And if you learn to consume it instead of have it consume you, you change everything. Bingo. Bingo. So good. So good, my friend. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much. So good. No, we will definitely. One more. We'll have to do it. Yeah, you bet, man. You're awesome. Hansel, make it quick, sir. You are up. What's your greatest success? Wow. Um, that's, that's. How's that for an end? That's a hard one. <laughs> Altruistically, the No Fear program. You know, as a dad, my kids are amazing. I love them. I'm blown away when I hang out with them. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, I, 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 I. This is so selfish, but it's it's deep. My greatest success is the fact that I'm continuing to improve as a human. Mm. You understand that? That's that self-awareness piece. How can I be the best dad in the world if I don't have good self-awareness, if I'm not managing my fear? How can I provide for my family and my kids if I'm not continually growing and expanding, right? And so if, if, if you take the answer out of context, did Tony just say like his greatest success is him because he's so freaking great? <laughs> yeah, I I want you at to look at you. You know what's the best thing you did today? You go work on myself. Yep. Now if you went, I saved up money and I bought my mom a new house. That's the greatest thing I did today. Well, guess what? You couldn't have done that if you weren't an asshole and hadn't gone through the program and learned to manage fear and become successful, right? Like it's all Lego blocks that That's just right. snap together. Right. So that's an interesting question. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's like the big picture umbrella answer is I could say, oh, look at this business that I built. Like, so you can ask me what's your greatest success in business, what's your greatest success as a dad, what's your, and all of those should, it goes back to the Wayne Dyer thing is like, I just realized on this call live with you guys that when I was 13, I wanted to move to California. Here I am. You know, almost 50 years later, where do I live? California. When I was 15, I knew I wanted to develop my own self-defense system and help make the world safer. 
And guess what I'm doing and have been doing since I'm 20 years old. And when I look in a mirror, I go, you know what? It might sound like a jerk saying this, but I don't think I look like a lot of other 61-year-old guys. Dang, right. Why? Because I'm doing what I love, living where I live, living where I want. And that's not mandatory because I only moved out here 10 years ago. But I, I managed my fear and I'm managing the fight. So altruistically, in terms of helping change the world, my greatest success might be like a, 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 an approach to looking at fear or managing fear that I think should be taught in schools Agreed. all over the world. Agreed. Agreed. You know? No, that's some found, foundational wisdom. It is, it is the, um, you know, who, who were you before the world told you who to be, you know, kind of, kind of deal. I, I love, I love all that. Mr. Blair, um, we definitely need to have you need to have you back. We want to support you any way that we can support you too, and, and you know we'll link all of all of these things um, in all of this. But man, I could not be more grateful for for your time spent pouring into these young guys and just what you're doing. You know, you you improving yourself, you are improving the world in, in so many different areas, man. So just grateful for you, my friend. Awesome, thank you. I look forward to seeing you all again and uh, and, and digging in and helping Dang you out right. any way I can. Dang right. We have to do. You guys give a big thank you, man. This is huge. Thank you, Mr. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Bye, guys. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Okay, guys. I'll see you soon. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Take care. And you can see why the man is a living legend. Give him a follow on IG at Tony Blower. Uh, check out the Spear System. Check out Blower uh, High Gear. Uh, the No Fear podcast, the BYOB.spear, uh, and go to info.tonyblower.com uh, to find everything that this man is continuously up to change in the world. And uh, speaking of change in the world, we are trying to do that, and we can't do that without your support, and we appreciate you continuing to listen to what we've got going on here and spreading the word. Uh, very grateful for each and every one of you, and we will catch you next time on The Essential Eleven.